Welcome to the Adapting Places podcast. This is episode three, in which I spoke to Malcolm Allen from Bloom Consulting. Uh, Malcolm has a breadth of experience around place branding, but our conversation centered around uh, the climate emergency and why this is not making its way as fast as we would like to see it into place brand strategies. Um, a key interesting point that Malcolm raised was one of um, the cost of inaction on the climate emergency being greater than the cost of mitigation uh, in this first part of our conversation. Uh, the second part that we'll release later will deal with how place brand managers could actually deal with any uh, arguments for denialism as well and also some of the, the practical things that they can do to be champions of the climate emergency conversation, making it to place brand strategies. I wanna thank the Place Brand Observer for facilitating this conversation. Um, and also I would like to highlight that we already have previous episodes. If you're interested in how they, they've gone, just check out um, adapting.co.uk. Enjoy the episode. been aware of um, climate change, uh, reading about it, hearing about it, um, understanding the argument that's beginning to emerge that it is emergency that has to be dealt with by humankind for quite a long time. Um, I don't think you can be in the field of, as I have been of kind of environmental tent planning, civic design uh, and place development without being aware that this is a, uh, a set of issues that will govern how places work, how they'll be designed, how they'll be managed, how they'll respond to changes in climate, um, both in the present and in the future. You only have to here in the UK look at the winters we've just had to see the significant um, impact on place of significantly larger heavy rainfall in parts of the country where the flood defense systems were simply overwhelmed or were inadequate or simply uh, hadn't been put in place to see the disruption this causes to people's lives you just need to look at the policies that have led to because of pressure on housing so much housing being built on floodplains that are then flooded and then the owners of the houses can't get insurance for future repairs and therefore they're very difficult to sell. So you begin to see uh, the ramifications of the changes in the weather, uh, whether you believe it's just a natural progression or you think it's actually being caused by uh, the level of carbon emission in the, the atmosphere, the changes are happening. And I think in a place branders 
whilst a lot of branding has come out of place branding has come out of uh, the travel industry, promotion and tourism, um, it's now beginning to affect the um, availability of resources and the interest in places in terms of investment. And places that have been significantly affected by flooding, by seawalls not being adequate, by the effect on, on, on farming, they they are having to deal with the effects of this change, which are now substantial. And they're beginning to realize that they have to plan for this uh, and plan to be more aware of it and plan to understand the things that mitigation can, can suggest. And what, what my reading has shown me is that the costs of mitigation are likely to be less than the costs of inaction. The costs of inaction are damaging. Okay. They're damaging to the landscape, they're damaging to the economy of place, they're damaging to business economy, they're damaging to the pocket of people who live in the place when it's being affected by the changes in the weather creating havoc. And therefore, it seems to me that places are being branded on their offer they're being branded on what they're good at. For me, it doesn't take much of a step to say, okay, given that climate change and the climate emergency is with us, it's not going to go away. It will be here for the foreseeable future. Surely we should then be taking account of that in framing our offers in framing our strategic plans for the development of the place, which feed into the place brand strategy. And so very few cities, ha particularly cities, but more so cities than nations, um, need to actually deal with this. Um, because it's at the, the, the level of the city, even if a nation is thinking in terms of um, coming to terms with climate change and putting in mitigation policies, it will be at the level of cities and settlements that this will be seen to be having an effect. Um, and therefore, for me, I, I find it very strange, if not alarming, that so very, very few places are actually identifying what they're doing to mitigate the effects of the current effects of climate change and to mitigate the prospective events of climate change in terms of spending money, in terms of physical activity, of construction, of waterways, uh, seawalls, whatever it is, um, that for me should be up there in, in, in what they're saying about the place because they're trying to protect it, they're trying to make it safer, they're trying to make it continue to be a, a place worth visiting if it's a tourism attraction, a place worth investing in. Um, and they should be proud to say these things because in doing so, they will be marking themselves out from the cities and the regions who are doing nothing at all, or the cities which are being run by politicians who are climate change deniers who say nothing needs to be done. And I think it's therefore very important that place brand strategists need to begin to take this very seriously and work with town planners and work with civil engineers 
in their places to begin to understand the scope of what can be done and, and what to be done. And apart from that, there are also the whole issues about waste management, about green energy, um, about transportation, about equity in access to resources that need to be dealt with, many of which are related to the green economy arguments, the sustainability arguments. And if you like, the triangle of issues I see at the heart of this are mitigation against climate change, investment in green economy, and having sustainable approaches to city planning, development, allocation of resources. Um, and again, you find very few examples of that. And we both know, because we've mentioned it in our interchange, that the city of Bristol, I, I think, has one of the most comprehensive approaches in this whole area, which is actually being framed in terms of the climate emergency. And just for the people listening to this, it's important to understand that what they're looking at is the data they've got about how the city is performing. They're looking at the effectiveness of their current infrastructure in terms of its mitigation power. They're looking at the way in which how they're funding the city needs to change in the longer term. And they're looking at the way they're engaging with people and business and institutions in the city to actually get them involved in this process. So it's not just being seen by local government. And, you know, they're looking at this significant variety. It's 10 issues. I'll just list them briefly. They're looking at equitable and sustainable transport, smart buildings, um, heat carbonization, the use and generation and reuse of electricity, uh, consumption leading to waste and how that waste is then dealt with and managed. They're looking at the effect on the natural environment. They're looking at the dependency of the city on food and how it arrives. And then they're looking at the interdependency of all the infrastructure. Um, and many places just have not got their heads around this um, set of interactions that will be required uh, in the future. And it, yes, it is more complex to describe, but if, if a place is going to be branding itself or its central idea is we are going to be sustainable, we are going to be green, we are going to be safer in the future, that can then inform how it manages its tourism. And I think that what I see is the parallel between the places that have begun to get their heads around this and how they're responding to the COVID-19 uh, issue. And it's presented, a, that issue has presented a whole series of complexities for countries and cities about how this is to be dealt with. And what interests me is the extent to which that's been galvanized by governments and cities so quickly and so effectively, despite drawbacks, people are always critical, you're not doing enough. And I just wonder, why is it that we haven't responded to climate emergency in that way? Why is it? I think it's because it's the imminent threat of death, immediate death, death in the community, people falling ill here and now. 
Whereas I think many people still think that for my generation, for your generation, well, our lives aren't going to be substantially disrupted by climate change. The environment isn't going to be utterly destroyed. But reading about the projections of the impact of increased carbonization, looking at the projections of the way the weather is changing, the patterns and the destruction it can have on land and on buildings and communities. This is a set of challenges, a set of disasters waiting to happen. And there's evidence now that it is beginning to happen. So for me, the big challenge is how, how do we get people to invest in thinking about this as part of the brand identity of a nation and of a place in the way that we're now seeing uh, Bloom's publishing some research on this next week, uh, the impact on brand strategies, nation and country brand strategies and city brand strategies of the way in which the COVID-19 pandemic has been managed. If it's been managed well, the effect is, is essentially to say, we have a good government of the city. We have a good government of the country. If it's been managed badly, it's denting the brand. And brands are going to have to look at how they repair it because they have to look at how the government worked during this. How effective was it? Did it listen to the science, etc.? And be thinking about, well, should we now be applying this kind of way of governing and thinking about the future to how we're going to mitigate the effects of climate change. Um, and for me, the jury is very much out on that at the moment. There are just not enough nation and city governments debating it in this way. Okay, okay. quite interesting. And uh, just because uh, I really wanna focus on the example that you mentioned uh, around Bristol, then we can talk about others that are actually doing something about it so we can turn it into the practical. I've been looking at their plan to actually get carbon neutral by 2030. And what was interesting in there that made me think was that in their assessment that you mentioned, kind of the, the in-depth research that they've done, um, they identified that 82% of the CO2 comes from kind of three sectors, which is transport, food, and manufacturing. Uh, which I guess is a way of really simplifying what needs to be done um, in certain aspects, right? But then it's a, it's a poison chalice if you if you get the job to degrow certain certain uh, sectors within your economy and to say that that would that's because of a of a brand strategy. You know, it might be a difficult thing to to defend because Bristol has been branding itself as the European Green Capital. You know, kind of having that message. Centrally. So I wonder uh, what your thoughts are on that. Well, at its very simplest, I, I think we're going to have to live with the implication that, well, several implications. Um, if we're going to continue to do what we've been doing, we'll get what we've always been getting. This is an, an English metaphor, if you like, a paradox that if we go on doing everything now that we're currently doing in terms of permitting these levels of carbon 
permitting these levels of pollution, then we're going to still get the, and have increases in the pollution, the, the health problems, the contamination problems. We can't just continue to say everything should stay as it is. If we're going to have to make tough choices, I think the implication is the future is going to cost us more money. The future is going to be more costly because we're going to have to spend significant amounts of money to mitigate the effects of climate change. That might result in higher food prices. It might result in more expensive buildings. Um, when I look at the levels of smartness of buildings in the UK, both commercial offices, factories and housing, as against some of their counterparts in Europe in particular, and in certain cities in North America. What I'm observing is um, the development industry is simply not taking this seriously enough. Um, and it's not paying for the smartness that would lead to more effective buildings, less polluting buildings, safer buildings. And one of the reasons for that is the argument is used, well, the customers are not yet asking for it. So why should we put in something that only a select few, maybe better informed people are demanding? Um, and that's basically avoiding the issue. That's basically saying, well, until, you know, everyone is, you know, the substantial number of the population want buildings with these higher levels of insulation, want buildings with these higher levels of green certification, then there's no point putting it in because people aren't going to pay for it. Therefore, I, I think one of the issues we have is educating not in a I told you so way or talking down to people way, but enabling people to understand that if we do not spend more to mitigate these effects, if we don't spend more, and mitigation is, is about not creating as much as reducing. Uh, so it's about not creating as much gas, not creating as much emissions. Then I, then I think people will begin to understand that the future is going to cost us more. And I think that's something given the current financial situation of COVID-19, um, people might begin to say, well, we can't afford that future. We're just going to have to live with the present. So what does living with the present mean? Apart from ignoring where the rises are taking place, it, it, it should mean it, it's a pro tem strategy, if you like, of actually identifying the places some call them the principal culprits, the activities, the industries that are significant contributors um, and getting into dialogue with them at the very least about how what other technologies can be used to mitigate the effects of emissions to produce um, goods in a smarter way. The environment policies of a place rather than just giving permissions based on does the building look good, is it for the purpose it's designed for, it should actually include um, uh, assessments of its greenness, if you like, um, 
that. So if you've got the choice between two proposals and one is going to have high levels of emission and one's going to have medium levels of emission, you would naturally look at the advantages of the medium level emission. But that's just not being taken into account at the moment. I mean, people putting in planning applications, people putting in infrastructure applications in the British planning system don't have to show what the impact of the building once operating using heat, light and power and waste, waste management. Um, what's that going to have on its surroundings as well as the internal quality of the environment? Um, and I think we just need to um, grab these issues and begin to think them through. Uh, it's not going to happen overnight, but we need to get into that planning process. Um, and I think every place needs to think about doing this. This is not something that's going to distinguish, you know, some one place over another in the longer term. Bristol is distinguishable now because it is taking this seriously. Um, and I think that, back to my analogy, the future is going to be more expensive. If we wish to live in a less polluted atmosphere, and people are waking up to this, they're looking at the photographs that are circulating on the internet, uh, they're seeing the clarity of sky, they're seeing the improvements in air quality. Do they really want to support going back to smog and pollution levels that we've had? Or is this a wake-up call to begin to find ways of managing it? Um, I'd hope that it is a wake-up call. And therefore, I think, coming back to place branding, the places that take the wake-up call seriously and begin to do something about it and mitigate against the effects of the climate emergency are, in effect, going to brand themselves as more responsible, as more sustainable places. And hopefully, as a result of that, they will see benefits of that, both in terms of reductions in public health costs, in terms of reductions of overall um, emissions, but also in terms of there being more attractive places for people to stay and more attractive places for people to go to. And ultimately, I think that's, that, that's, that's the set of benefits to be had here. But if we continue to be as we currently are and, you know, not taking this seriously and not promoting what we're doing about it, you know, and if you look at a place brand strategy, and as I did at the conference back in November of last year, ask the question, well, why, why are you not valuing the impact of actions on the climate emergency? The, if, the essential answer I got was it's too complicated or we don't know how to do it. Now, there are ways of evaluating it. There are ways of costing it. So that just needs to get up the agenda on people's awareness and, and get administrations beginning to think about it. Sorry, a long and complex response, but I think it deserves that level of detail. So this was the first part of my conversation with Malcolm and I guess his last comment about having complex responses um, is something that I actually enjoyed. Uh, I had to ask very little questions 
which which is always good because uh, I can just sit there and learn. I hope that you've enjoyed it as much as I did. Part two will be dropping soon.